Hello everyone, this is Sherelle Jardine and this is Make a Scene Canada on Pacific Northwest Radio. Make a Scene Canada is a go-to for discovering new artists, as well it's a place to hang out with our Canadian icons. I absolutely love and it's my great pleasure to bring you the songs and stories of our world-class Canadian musicians and introduce you to our industry leaders as well. Megascene Canada is sponsored by Zed Productions. Zed Productions is a full-service production company offering the best studios and services to suit your project and budget. From producing to recording and mixing, contact Sheldon Zaharko at sheldonzaharko.com. There is a lot that goes into running this station and its podcasts, and while we do bring it to you for free, we could use some support to keep running and growing. Any contributions, no matter how small, are appreciated. If you love the show and would like to donate to Make a Scene Canada, go to pacificnorthwestradio.com and click on the top right where it says contribute and become a patron of the station and Make a Scene Canada. Click on become a patron and then you'll have a few options. You can make a custom pledge and donate whatever you'd like or for as little as a buck a month, you can help us keep the station and Make a Scene Canada rocking. You can also become an official sponsor of any one of our podcasts or online radio station. All details are on the contribute section as well. And you can always get in touch with us. Our email is pacificnorthwestradio at gmail.com. And in the subject line for Make a Scene Canada or Pacific Northwest Radio or maybe one of our other programs and find them all on pacificnorthwestradio.com. We've just started to dive into the Bitcoin world for the station. If you sign up for your own account, you'll get $10 to invest in various cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, and Bitcoin Cash, just to name a few. It's easy and fun, and why not get into the game? When you sign up and put $100 into your account and buy Bitcoins, you can refer a friend, and when they invest $100, you're gonna get $50 to invest. And if you want to learn more about buying cryptocurrency, click on our homepage and follow the NetCoins link. Are you tired of the banking system as we know it? Uh Uh-huh. Have you ever heard about Bitcoin? Huh? Sure you have. Everything about buying it? Uh Uh-huh. But were afraid and didn't know how? Look no further. NetCoins is a user-friendly Canadian cryptocurrency exchange that aims to make cryptocurrencies less mysterious, intimidating, and complicated for Canadians. Hey, I'm uh, I'm not a lumberjack or a fur trader. I don't live in an igloo or eat blubber or on a dog sled. It lets you buy and sell top crypto assets including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, XRP, and QCAD. Everybody here at the station is having a lot of fun with it. It's super easy, and if you have a hundred bucks and want to get in on it, click on the Pacific Northwest Radio homepage and click the Netcoins Buy icon. You're going to get ten bucks just for buying in, and when you refer someone, you'll get fifty, and they'll get ten. Let's get rich together. Thanks for listening to Pacific Northwest Radio. Now go get your Bitcoins. If you're looking for past Magazine Canada shows, all of the back shows are on Pacific Northwest Radio. Just click on the Magazine Canada show icon on the home page and there you'll find them. 
You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, plus a whole array of sites all waiting for you to discover. Right now, while you're listening to the show, find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Megascene Canada. We also have a group page, Megascene BC, where you can post your upcoming gigs. Don't forget to give Pacific Northwest Radio a like on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Northwest Radio. Okay, let's have some fun. Murray McVeigh is president and owner of Merman Productions, the largest tribute booking company in North America. The company does concert promotion, live music booking, band management, promotions, and marketing and consulting. He's also a musician, a sound guru, and a good friend of Mark and mine. Welcome to the show, Murray. Murray, you're a musician, and I know you were in a band in the early days. So what got you into music? I was a semi-singer. I was actually pretty good in my day until my voice changed. So, But I had always loved music. My parents, my mom especially, was very... Uh, her and her family, uh, the Mennonites, loved to sing. And so they were always singing around the piano and stuff. And that's how... I first got attracted to, you know, I see pictures of me as a baby or a little one holding on to my mom's breast while they're all sitting around the, the piano singing, right? And so I started, was able to talk to people too bad in school. I started to sing in choir and stuff. And then, then I met, uh, well, I've been, I grew up with Rick Benick, our, our mutual friends, but... Um, and uh, a drummer extraordinaire for Paul Rogers mm-hmm. and many, many others. But we, uh, we and him grew up together. We started in kindergarten together. Oh and, and, yeah, and so we ended up at the age of probably 14, 15 in his parents' house in the back. He had a shed, a uh, shed, whatever, and he had his drum kit in there. And we do, you know, stuff like, you know, Alice Cooper, Walton Sun Nightmare stuff. And then, oh no, that was that was later on. But so the next thing we know, we're, we go and start a band, right? So we got a couple people that we knew. Uh, just, well, actually, it was all all through Craigslist. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, we got Craigslist band going. <laughs> Started, you know, started, it was a band called uh, Black Diamond, which is named after the Chiefs. <laughs> well, we were all a bunch of young youths sitting around, all probably buzzed out on marijuana, listening to music and watching TV and trying to think of a name. And I saw the packaging. And even back then, I thought the logo was pretty cool. <laughs> I went, Black, mm, up, Black mm, Diamond! Nice. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and we started doing uh, noon hours and, uh, you know, private, private gigs. Not a lot. And uh, funny how uh, when we started rehearsing, we ran into, we met a guy, and you might know him too, Bob Beatty. Bob was in a band called Hero with a lead singer named Caroline who uh, I thought was a second, the second coming of Cher just as far as her looks and, and vocals and everything. I mean, she was quite breathtaking. So she uh, just back then was one of the first two bands I'd ever seen. And Guy Jones was the drummer. 
uh, Bob was a good guitar player. Can't remember the bass player, but they took us under their wing, and we did a, a show at New Westminster High School in the big auditorium there. And, uh, Mick Jagger First Nation. I was all over the stage. I just crazy. I vocally not that great, but I, uh, you know, I hung in there until my voice changed. Oh. <laughs> that was that was it. And that was my it. Sing- <laughs> singing career came. Oh, oh man. Uh, but well, that was okay because it, it turned into uh, the next phase of my my life. Where you know, I had gone. Uh, Right after that, then we were, uh, we met a guy named Garfield Sherrington, uh, and Garfield uh, he had a PA, he had lights, and everything. And we started to, the band started to rehearse. Was a singer. Uh, this is when Mark, uh, your hubby, came in. So your partner came into the picture and keyboard, joined a band called Monarch, I believe it was. And then it turned into the army. army. Yes, you were doing sound yeah. for for those guys, right? Yeah, I was doing sound. And how it started, I'm self taught most of mostly. It turned oh, it turned into a, it turned into a game bar. That's right, because we played there a little bit later. It was cool, but it was such a different atmosphere. But anyways, we're, I, we're playing there. They're on stage. I'm up front. And Garfield looked at me and points the vocals to his mouth, right? And I would go up or down with my finger in the air, and he would go adjust it on the board. And then after about a month of this, you know, because I got a, re- a pretty good ear, you know, I know music, and he goes, this is ridiculous. He says, let's, uh, let's, build a, let's build a snake, and then we'll move the board out front. And we'll keep start there, and I'm like, wow. So they would board up front and it was a soundboard it was called a trooper board T-R-O or trooper T-R-O-U-P-E-R with uh, didn't have knobs it had sliders everything a slider that's how ancient that is it's you know 40 I don't know 40 40 some years ago anyways but uh, or 35 so yeah that that started my my sound career and uh, I ran into a gentleman named Joe Tressel who was the sound man and roadmaster for Bowser Moon back in the day who was one of the top uh, club acts. And, uh, and then I, he started to teach me and uh, he went, I came on the road with Army and uh, that's how it started. And so I was sound man for Army. Uh, oh, geez. I tell you I can't remember. My brain might be going, which well, it might be because if I'm getting going on, we get to later. But yeah, no, I uh, just started doing sound uh, with them and moving up and up and up and uh, worked for them for a while. And, and to be quite candid, uh, I worked for other bands, but you know my and my my drug addiction, other addictions stop me straight in, in my in my career because for me I I, I took the, the music industry as strictly sex drugs rock and roll and that was fine at the beginning I mean but uh, quite early I was surrounded with quite talented musicians most of those musicians in the band army are now very prevalent in our music scene in you know Pacific West Coast or 
further worldwide. So, you know, I, and I had a talent, but I did not, I, you know, I was third generation alcoholic addict, you know, uh, so I didn't have really good communication skills and my communication skills would go from someone would come up and say, Hey, Oh, here's, here's a good story, which will really instill on how, how my, my career went one way where it could have been big time one way. I was, we were at the, uh, Jesus, the place on Surrey, that used to be called. Well, it was Poncho years ago. Uh, we were playing there, uh, with the band Army. I'm mixing, uh, Bruce Allen and Joe Jackson the road manager at the time for Brian Adams, I think it was, came out to see the band and to see me because they had heard I, I was a, a good sound man. Well, I'm doing sound and this guy comes up, fairly intoxicated, asking me to turn it down, turn it down. You know, these guys, they're horrible, whatever, asking me, I'll leave it, I'll go away, whatever. Two or three times, fourth time, I, I knocked them out one punch. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> rain them out, and I'm looking. All I remember is going to. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, they went to that. About a week later, uh, or two weeks later, Joe told me that he had been in touch with. Because <laughs> Joe had yeah. recommended me, right? Uh, so he goes, uh, yeah, you're a great sound man, but, you know, you, there's no way. And then I had a record at the mm-hmm. time. And, and I don't know, you know, it, off shooting onto that part of it, 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 it just runs parallel my background with addiction, you know, uh, to violence uh, um, and breaking the law and eventually going, eventually spending some time at different institutions and that, and, uh, you know, that's where I, I started. So, you know, I'm not blaming anybody. We all, we all make our own decisions, but until we learn how to do that properly, we go by what we see and, and, and generational, right? I do want to talk a little bit more about your addiction and some other things a little bit later in the interview. But um, so you and Mark, you've known each other for a long time. I was never in the cover band scene, but I've heard stories back in the 80s. You know, cover bands were were revered. People would follow the bands from gig to gig. They were always on the road. Certain bands had a huge following. There was flash pots, sparkle pots, flares, costumes. It was it was really big business, wasn't it? Well, big business, but it was controlled right to, and I don't mean controlled in a bad way. There used to be circuits back then. C circuit, B circuit, A circuit. You start off in your basement, you move to the C circuit, which whatever that be at the time, I can remember being going up to Fort St. John for two months or whatever, right? Learn, learn your stuff. You can rehearse, bang, you know, that's back then. And then you get tighter, you do those, you start getting a reputation, the next thing you move, you do the B circuit, which is just, you know, better quality of venue overall, usually better money, better accommodations, and more, uh, you know, more situated in cities or towns that are, are bigger, 
and, and more populated and, and have an entertainment like you know club scene instead of just like some small town with a club where a band plays. So you get into that scene, and then finally the A circuit is you know, where. You know, I can't remember everyone, and excuse me if I forget someone. Or, but I started the top bands back then, or Zingo, uh, Crosstown Bus. Uh, got into like Simon Chaos, Army. Uh, you know, a, a, a lot. Of, and just really, really strong amounts of bands with a strong, talented band. So a lot of competition. And I think what's happened, and this is my opinion, and I'll stand to it today, is when once there was... And, uh, well, there's one agency. By the time one agency, you well, just initial SF, uh, basically had a hold on everything. And so it got to the point where the agency got so big that uh, for example I was sitting in Vancouver tonight at the time with the owner Bill downstairs and phone rings and it's a, a agent from SF and Bill goes hey yeah perfect timing I got Murray here I want you to rebook Murray blah 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 and I want oh I want Simon Chaos too and the agent goes well if you want Simon Chaos, you got to take this band, this band, and this band here, here, and here. And Bill goes, I don't, I don't want those bands, especially this one band last time they here. They, they were horrible. Well, if you want Simon Chaos, you have to get this band. And that's how it was for a large percentage of it, where to the point then other agencies under other agencies within that, you know, building commissions, you know, audience attractions, you have this, you had, you know, and it just, what it did was it, 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 it the eye of any throat, and I'm a very cute one too, by the way, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I come, you know, I've learned a lot of different aspects of this uh, industry, and, and it's really sad how we've come to whether you be it if you're in a uh, a top forty band, a original act, a tribute act, uh, you know performance, you know events, you know performers, anything like that, anything. I mean, it, 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 there is just no there's no money for put into it. As you can see, even now, uh, separately, everybody, the restaurant people are getting going to get some money. The, the club money, hopefully they're going to get some money. The theaters, yes, well-deserved, get some money. But the bulk of the money goes to, like, the Vancouver Symphony or the Toronto Symphony, where their, their private donations and backing bring in 90% of, of their funding, and, and then their ticket prices. And most of the people that are in, the, uh, in that, uh, in, in the orchestra, you know, average, you know, they're... they're, they're probably financially fairly stable and a lot of them are retired to begin with and I'm just using them as an example because they're the only ones that I researched and and for, I, I would phone the uh, Toronto and phone the musicians union and go hey how about some help for musicians out here oh yes we've got a fun going no problem and yes, blah 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 three months later I go what happened to that fun 
Oh, well, it didn't get past Toronto. All the money got paid up in Ontario. <laughs> All righty. So, you know, we just are not, it's, um, it's just, it's gone. The pandemic to me is now going to be a reborn, a reborn, rebirth, sorry, of, of everything. Bands who are serious and want to do this, and I mean this in all genres, it's going to be tougher because there's going to be less and less opportunities. More times than not, there's going to be less money to start off with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the opportunities are going to be far through between, especially up here um, right now. Um, there, there's some stuff that has been voted by me and I've looked at, but there's nothing that no one's got. Yes, we're putting a stamp on this. I, I can say for sure that there's no, I can't, yeah, I can say 100%, uh, maybe I should. Put it this way, I can guarantee most of the festivals that I uh, would be booking uh, my acts with are, are, are in, you know, during the summer in the lower mainland, they're not happening. The pandemic is so ugly and uh, I am. I just, I'm so frustrated myself, you know, just the whole scene right now, you know, our industry is going to be the last one to come back. Everybody else will be able to get back to normal, but um, there's not going to be festivals and, you know, um, it's, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the States in a bit, but um, what, I, what I really want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about, you touched on addiction. I think it's a really important subject. There's a really dark side to this industry and I'm hoping you can share your story a little bit. When people say, you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing, you can absolutely relate, as you just mentioned. And so how did you start kind of getting into drugs, and how did you pull yourself out of that abyss? Uh, okay, started. Uh, like I said, I'm a third, fourth generation, well, third generation alcoholic. Um, I would just say addict in general. Uh a quick story to, to just before. So my, this is my, my last name is McVeigh. I'm Irish. I'm not related to the Bond or Timothy. That's M C V A Y. But uh, my, my uh, grandfather told the story of my great grandfather and my grandfather back in uh, World War, I guess one days or whatever, maybe two. But my my great grandfather was already a. Uh, a soldier in the army in uh, the active war. My grandfather wanted to join, but he was underage. He took off to go join, sign up, and so my great-grandmother said to my great-grandfather, go get him, bring him home. I don't want him, blah, blah, blah. So he goes, yeah. My great-grandfather goes out, finds my grandfather. What happens? They both sign up to go to war. They both go to the pub, get loaded, come home. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's a, a, a snapshot of the addiction history in my in my family, and, and, and not to say that it, it, you know it, or whatever it, 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 it's far more extensive than that. But yeah, it, it uh, my addiction started. I would say my parents both grew up or both met at Vintasis at a logging camp. And I was born up in Esperanza, BC, which is northern Vancouver Island. You need a, you need a boat or a plane to get there, but um, so they used to have 
a lot of these sing-alongs. And then after I was bored, they moved up there, and they have people over. And I can remember, you know, parents sitting in the basement with guitars out singing, and they're all drinking. And then I fell by my dad. You know, I could probably, I was probably five or six, and he'd go, here, son, have a drink. Right. And it'd be a, a beer and go, oh, that's good. And then I remember he gave me a shot of whiskey once, and he was and he was pretty well lit and in front of somebody. He says, that, there's my son. He's a man. Yeah. It's a drink. He's a man. There you are. And then being, once again, uh, just a quick, some people know what, uh, why I'm saying some of the stuff and how I happen to know this stuff is I'm also a certified drug and alcohol counselor now not practicing, but so, you know, by watching generational addiction and environmental, um, that's, that's where it started. And also believe me, uh, and some of the stuff I'm going to get is, is pretty personal and in depth. And so I, I hope that's fine for buddy out there, but I think it's very important, especially in our industry to have some knowledge and some information, uh, contact information, whatever, somewhere to reach out for people that are, especially now, mm-hmm. um, uh, anybody in addiction during the pandemic is tough, but with musicians and artists who have that flair and have that, that you need that, uh, I, you need to have a, a, a bit of the ego or not, Maybe that's not, but the atmosphere, the attitude on stage, mm-hmm. just that that whole, you know, nurturing thing with music, which is weird. How um, we all started off in this business because we love the music, just the music itself, and and now you look at it, where I I have a lot of bands that I I oversee, and and there's some that uh, have just uh, the pandemic has just scattered them not to say that they're broken up or anything and but it's just at this point it's gone on for so long that the focus and the motivation to get back to the music is not there unless there's something concrete like a carrot and stick mm-hmm. sort of thing <laughs> I, I hate to say. but on, on the other hand i have to tell you with uh with our with uh the barracuda slash Classic Ronstadt slash whatever uh, that crew with the new personnel that we have at Barracuda. Of course, we can't rehearse, right? So we have one in, uh, you know, um, our new Nancy Sarah is in Portland. Uh, yeah, and so she's doing Sarah Moon. She's down there doing her thing, uh, learning the songs and um, getting together. And then our our, our new drummer Matt, who's local. He has a studio at his house, so everybody did a, a COVID video where we uh, they re- heard, uh, recorded recorded and video individually. Sent all the audio to our wonderful friend Ray Roper, and he mixed it down. And I edited a video for the song "Heartless" uh, by Heart, uh, but played by Barracuda, and it really sparked everybody. Not only the musicians doing it, but I mean, people to see it is, you know, I got to say, it's really well done for a COVID video. Um, I took a lot of time and uh, pride in editing. I mean, 
honestly, because there's nothing else to do, and I was still feeling fairly good at that point. I think I put close to 60 hours in that. <laughs> but I'm learning. Yeah, I'm learning. I learned, that's the other thing with me since the beginning of the industry, I've learned how to do a lot of stuff in-house because when I started, I paid for everything up front with top, top, like with Barracuda eight years ago, we front-loaded the band. I, a lot of money, we put a lot of money into it, especially in the promotional part to get a name, right? I had a vehicle, a brand new vehicle with, uh, it was with all the sides. It was awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, and it probably got me five or six gigs, right? Not a lot of money, but, you know, but anyways, it uh, it's helped. But uh, so, you know, getting back to, I guess, our initial thing was getting into the addiction. Was, well, I was pretty small. Um, and at the age of six, I was sexually abused. Mm. Like, oh my God. Brut- yeah, brutally. Um, family member? It, uh, no, no. Um, a, uh, a, uh, a neighbor. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I lived in Burnaby at the time and they found me in the stride dump, uh, naked from the waist down and bleeding. So, yeah. Um, so that's a lot of the, and of course with males and sexual abuse, uh, you know, the reaction, and I, you know, me and my dad, I loved him. He's great. But the reaction at the time from my dad was basically mad and angry at my mom for making it happen, looking at me with just, uh, disdain as if I was broken goods, broken, you know, but he didn't know any better, right? It's, you know, like, and, and just, of course, first thought was to go kill the guy. Uh, my dad, my dad was, you know, longshoreman. He was a, a bouncer at the Waldorf years ago. But anyway, so that got worse. I just, uh, that's, that started stealing. I started to steal anything, everything didn't matter. And then I, uh, just started uh, stealing wine from next door neighbors, which had been fermented. Is it fermented? Is that uh, what it's finished? I'm not sure. But oh, well, whatever it is, it wasn't ready. <laughs> and and, and, I, and I, it was grade eight. I drank a bottle of it. It was supposed to go to a school dance. All I remember is walking up the stairs and the vice principal. Gaten, I believe it was, turned me around, said, go home, you're loaded. Basically, go home and tell your parents I'm phony right now. And I went home, and this is a real personal story, but, you know, I have to tell it to tell you, give you guys, I guess, the depth of how everything went with addiction in the family. My dad was at home. My mom was in the washroom having a bath. Uh, the door was closed. I just walked in. She said, oh, excuse me, I'm in here. Murray, get out of here. And I, all I remember, I believe, was telling her to go F off. And my dad, I was 16, I think. My dad at the time, like, he grabbed me, dragged me in the front room, and threw me out the front plate glass oh. window, <laughs> which was about, I guess, uh, 10 feet wide by five feet high. And uh, and then made me clean it up, uh, and then made me pay for it. I remember I started. I worked for a Trooper at uh, eighty five or something, eighty four. 
we were playing, uh, I don't know, Angel's Acres, and we go into the dressing room, and there's a six-foot beer with uh, uh, with a uh, beer, beer with a trooper block and oh, cocaine. Geez. <laughs> yeah, So and then I, a trooper was just you know I worked with them. They were I knew those guys. I grew up with uh, Brian Tycho, uh, who was their original lighting guy, and I was friends with his brother David Tycho, who was a well-known Vancouver artist. And uh, I uh, right down the street on Matter, and we'd go see Applejack peek in the window. And you know, look at these guys practicing, and and then they turned into a trooper, uh, which is pretty cool, man. Uh, so yeah, it just progressed on and on and on. And then you know, I I quit school. I was going to go be a longshoreman. That was totally just you know not my thing. Um, I had a re- I had just had a reputation of that you know Murray's going to lose his school. Yeah, it's not good. We don't want to hire him. Blah blah blah. My sound was always pretty good. Uh, you know, I interact with the bats pretty good. But it was my, you know, my my alcoholism. I didn't want to do that in kindergarten, also, and then uh, not in elementary school. But anyways, I used to do collections for him, and uh, I left. Me and Donna had been really, really on the outs the last year so she was on the road with a band called Legends of Rock and Roll she was overseas and every time she would go out on the road and come back everything the house would be gone as far as pond vehicles smashed up me in the hospital whatever jail just on and on and on so I had left I walked out and I got to the downtown east side and I, for the first week or so, I stayed in Astoria and uh, just was basically felt at home down in that area, right? The addiction and everything else that went with it. Um, and so I was there for about a week and then didn't have any money left, started living on the street. And then I went and uh, went to Beauty Gospel Mission down in Vancouver. I love the mission. They uh, went there for soup at first, and I sat down with the, the president at the time, Morris McElroy, and he told me his testimony about you know coming from Ireland, landing in Halifax, taking a train to Vancouver, uh, and starting that uh, working, starting the mission by himself, he also served soup. So I told him my story, and he said, you know, I'm worried. What have you got to lose? Why don't you try faith? Like I, I'm a Christian, but I, I'm, I'm my my mind is faith, spirituality. It's not religion. That, that's okay, let's get that out of the way. Away <laughs> from me, it's it's about spirituality and faith. So he says, "What do you got to lose?" And I'm going, "You're right." So one day I came home to get some clothes. And uh, Donna had left. She didn't want to be there. I went in, got some clothes, and across the street was um, a little church called Monday Park Church. And 
the wind, the doors were open and they were singing and they were really bad singers, oh, no. by the way. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the only interaction, and it's funny I say that because the only interaction I'd ever had with this church before was one day uh, in a summer past, I was hung over in my backyard trying to just whatever. And, uh, they were singing, and I went over and I slammed the door shut. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, I don't know what time. So, I, uh, but they started singing a song called The Old Rugged Cross, which one of my mom's favorite hymns, and it hit me, man. And I, I, I just walked over, I walked over across the street, done, the old bullshit, sat in the back pew, and I just sat there. And they were singing the old rugged cross, and I just broke. And I just started, you know, bawling. Mm. And the pastor came up, his name was Pastor Pete. Hey, Pastor Pete. He asked if I was okay, told him what was going on. And he said to me, he says, Have you heard of using gospel mission? I went, Well, yeah, I've been having soup there, blah, blah, blah. And he says, You should. You should try there, you know. So not only will you get, you know, the relief from the drugs and alcohol, but you might find some serenity in your life. And so I did. I went back down and I went in and there was three beds available and I got third bed. And I went upstairs and I phoned Donna and I said, Donna, I just checked myself into getting possible mission. Gonna be here for at that time I think, which was a long time. It was a three or four month program. Um, I said okay. and all she did I could hear her just scream, Thank you. Wow. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that started the journey and it, it was really, really tough. I, I mean, I'm not going to color code it. It, it, it was the toughest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Um, you know, and it, uh, you know, when I stayed there and I did what was asked of me, you know, the first thing is structure where, you know, you got a chore. First chore I got was the men's washroom. Well, I'm like, what the, you know, complain and complain and so I got called into my counselor's office and he goes to me goes, uh, Murray what is this so if you cannot do a simple chore like not the washer you will never stay clean and sober because you'll never live life on life's terms and that's what hit my brain the whole thing about addiction is living life on life's terms but not having to use to, you know, to deal with life, right? To, uh, so I stayed there and just got better and better and better and detox. I did 90 days to 90 days. I did uh, my journal every day. Yeah, so my addiction basically stopped there and, uh, you know, I I did go home. I, it was a, you know, a learning process for me and Donna, again, just to be around and, you know, her getting to know me. I mean, she always, you know, the thing with me, I've known Donna for 
many, many, many years. So she knew me, you know, and just to reiterate, she was in the band Army for a short time and then was in Hydra. So that's how far back, 40 years. Um, so, you know, it was quite easy. And she's just been such a, when people were going, hey, you got to you know, hunt this guy, get rid of him. He goes, she goes, oh, or he's a good guy. He's got a good heart. I at first, I said, you know, uh, our friend Tracy sent us up. <laughs> Tracy. Uh, and uh, not sent us up, but she's reintroduced us. But uh, and we, uh, we've been together ever since. So That's amazing. A big part of it. My faith is a big part. Uh, I don't do a lot of program right now uh, because just what I'm going through, I, it's, it's really, you know, just get to, but I'm trying to just uh, you know stay stay positive on all all you know points of my life, and, and I'm really feeling very very uh, grateful to do this today to be speaking with you, and just to let let everybody know that uh, you know it's going to get better, and life is it's just so many different ups and downs that, you know, I'm just trying to live it on a, on a fairly level plane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I know we, we talked a little bit about Merman Productions, but um, I want to just talk a little bit more about it. So it is the largest tribute booking agency in North America, booking bands. And I just want to run through a couple of them here. So you've got Aerosmith Rocks, uh, Shooting Star, which is Bad Company, uh, Fab Forever, The Beatles, Cars Moving in Stereo. Uh, West Coast Chicago, uh, Bad Moon Riders, Anita Bowie, Hysteria, that's a Def Leppard tribute, Eagle Eyes, uh, Kalimba, and then of course, Barracuda, and uh, yeah, yeah, classic Ronstadt, and Pat Benatar, that your lovely wife, Donna, is, yeah. um, she is the one that uh, fronts those bands, and honest to God, like she can just take a vocalist and replicate her hundred percent. It's when I see when I see wow. Barracuda, like if I close my eyes, I'm like, wow, that's that's Anne up there doing it, right? So you yeah, know, good for her, you know, that that she can do these bands that that's been her dream when I've spoken to her before in the past. Um and you know, it's it's so great that you guys can work together and, and make that happen for her. Well, it, and that's it. Was always a dream of hers, right? To to do this, uh, uh, to do a hard tribute. Uh, I mean, she grew up on a little farm in Pine River, Manitoba, close to Dauphin. And Ad Wilson was her vocal coach. He uh, through the record player. That's how she learned to sing. Wow! <laughs> right? So, and her brother loved music, so he's always. You know, she went off to Thompson, Manitoba, by herself, uh, working in the nickel mine, driving forklift, at the age of, I don't know, 16, 17, started her own band, and then came out here. And, I mean, she's, and of course, I'm her husband, so I'm going to say this, but saying this as a professional booker management, what have you, the versatility that comes from her not only vocally, but performance-wise, where if you look and sort of track to see what the, what Ed, well, mind you, at one time, Ed, Ed didn't really mm-hmm. move a lot. And, and, uh, but I mean, just her persona, or working with the crowd, her, her uh, Donna's 
to be, even put her own, I mean, to put her own personality into that character, but she knows she's not Ann Wilson. She she is honoring Ann Wilson. And have you seen Eagle Eyes Show? Of just their videos, but it's it's so good. Yeah, and for a four yeah. piece, and there are some tracks. There's some piano yeah. tracks, couple tracks, but there's not one vocal track, and there's not one guitar mm. track. That's all those four dudes, and it's remarkable uh, where they've come in three years. You know, Barracuda now with the lineup that we have, the personnel. Uh, it just—it's a better fit all the way around, and uh, it just takes it up another notch uh, as far as bookability. Um, and you know, I, I'm going to have to probably—I won't be looking for new new acts anymore. Just once again, because of you know where I am in my life, but uh, I, I don't want to ever ever say never because. You know, there's one act, there's one bad act that I really look at. Electric Light Orchestra tribute act would be so good. Well, you never that know. Would be very, <laughs> it would be very challenging. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you know, stuff like that. I, I mean, the tribute scene is going to be, for those who you know like to hear it or not, it, it, it's, it's going to be a little bit, even more bigger in the next few years just because of this pandemic. For example, who would you think would be the number one fair act in the States, say, going from fair to fair in the rock and roll sort of Like, genre? are you talking who about you a tribute act? No, just a real, honest to goodness, pop, bon pop it's Well, yeah, that, no, that's super. I, I, I guess it's Porter. It's Porter. Foreigner uh, oh, okay. now, which is, which can be construed as a tribute act, and I can get into that with anybody too. But I mean, there's nobody in tribute in, in Foreigner now that's from the original band, other than mm-hmm. Mick Jones, who occasionally appears yes. with the band, and that's licensing and that going. But uh, they get anywhere from 150 to 175 uh, of um, U.S. A show. Okay, so a band like Foreigner, they can do 90 minutes of, of hits, right? Pretty wild. They can do a 90-minute show with Encore, and you're going to know a show, yeah. every song. But, you know, what's happening is there's a lot of acts that are, you know, haven't recorded for a while, haven't been popular. They go out and they have two, three, maybe four songs, and they're headlining a 90-minute Yeah. Well... It ain't, it's not, it was doable before because some bookers would go, okay, I'll put this package together for you, bang, and, and that's how it was. Now it's going to be a little bit more uh, pick and play. And, you know, for example, the band, uh, we've got a show that we do called Triple Shot, for, uh, which is the Pat Benatar opens up, the band's called All, uh, All Fired Up. Uh, they open up, and then uh, the girls go and get changed. Ray Roper from Stoneboat fame and our lovely friend, he and uh, the boys do a set of that company, which he does quite well. And then the girls come back out and we go right into heart, which is a 90 minute. So we can do two and a half hours of, and there's 
45 hits in that wow, two and a half that's hours. crazy. Right? The, you know, Pat Benatar, her average song was like a minute and a yeah. half, two minutes. <laughs> she, you can talk 10, 12 songs in, in 20 minutes, 30 minutes with her. So you get much more bang for the buck um, in that respect for the buyers, right? Especially with a non-ticketed event, like a fair or something, where you're not specifically buying a ticket to see a certain uh, you know, entertainer. This is general sort of thing. But so that's where it's going to start shooting off to for a while. And so, the, and with anything, and, and with the ritual acts too, I, I'm, I'm perplexed for the people that are, you know, in original acts like yourself and a lot of other friends where it, it that whole scene has stagnated to the point where in the live scene, but a lot of, People I know, as yourselves and other, have switched it to the social media world and, and and gone virtually or gone internationally, which in some cases or not, it it, it 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 can help you a lot more than being in Canada because you know the original act, the old way it used to be is okay. So and so troopers going to open up for BTO. Well, when trooper opened up to BTO, it was okay. You guys get three lights, uh, mm-hmm. no money. <laughs> you can sell yeah. your. Rent. Uh, but that that's not available too much now, unless an artist says, "Hey, I want to take this guy on, take this band on stage, right, uh, on tour." Um, and, and it's all around. It's just not. There's not a lot of. There's not enough money. I don't think put into that at end of the um, of the music industry or scene to um, to bring along and to. You know, do more stuff like what Sarah McLaughlin is doing. Uh, but but just, I think, oh, the first thing, I did a thing on my phone the other day is to keep music in schools. Right? Isn't that, that's just, they take away it's, the music. It's ridiculous because my fear is that, you know, we're talking about original acts. All of a sudden, you know, people don't support the original acts. Kids in school aren't learning music. They're not getting the support. What happens to music? The music scene dies except for the old songs that keep playing or whatever. Somebody have actually even said that well, to me. They're like, well, I can just listen to my favorite songs from the 80s. You know, people need to keep creating music. Well, uh, yes. Uh, you know, I'm at odds with, you know, I, I turned on something last night from Europe and saw this ex-police woman who is now the highest paid DJ oh, in the world. God. I, wa- I watched for half an hour and listened to yeah. 50,000 yep. people. I know. I know. It's sick. And those people get paid like the top, I can't remember what his name is, the top DJ in the world. He gets like a million dollars for a show. Yeah, she got a hundred. Well, yeah, so this wasn't the one, but this one got 125 grand for doing Maybe it was just a short set, but uh, but once again, to each his own in that respect. Uh, I think what happens is with bands like, and I like to see it when it's generational. You see someone like um, the Eagles, for example. Last time when I saw the Eagles after Glenn Fry died, and of course Glenn Fry's son was up there, so that's the generation there. There was a very young guy on one side of the stage beside Vince Gill, and he was sort of behind Vince Gill, but he was playing guitar. And it was a young guy. And me and Donna, I'm thinking, what the heck is this? 
Well, they ended up being Don Henley's oh. son. But they just want them on stage just to get the feel, just work them yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have another generation of Eagles. Well, only making millions. Yeah, oh my God. Years. Generations to come. <laughs> so it's, well, that's it. I mean, you see the you know, years ago with the Jacksons, uh, the mm-hmm. Osmonds, you know. And I just saw, you know, me and Donna went and saw Donnie and Marie last year in, in Vegas. And, you know, sure, it was corny, but mm-hmm. it was good. It was just good entertainment. Yeah. It was, it was so, you know, she, they were both phenomenal, but yeah, it's, it's sad, but uh, I, I have hope that it, it's going to come around again. There's another thing that's just baffling me in Europe where uh, um, the holograms are, st- are starting to be a big thing. There's a tour going around of Ronnie James Dio as a hologram. I can't take it. Can't. But, you know, I mean, we, we could talk for hours about all this stuff. I, I, I want, there's a couple more things I need to talk to you about um, while I have you. So, you know, you and Donna, you're a couple. And, you know, it's funny they say, and I don't know who the hell are they, but they say um, that it doesn't really work when you're both in the music industry, that you can't have a successful relationship. But I look at you guys, I look at Mark and I and a handful of others and I think it's that you don't ever hear about the success, you know, the successful couples that actually make it. So what's your secret with you and Donna? If, if you tell me yours, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> <laughs> the is literally is she's the boss at home and she's the boss on the road. She's the, she, without her and the band, I am not existing in my job I am not you know it's a two way street but how I look at it when we're on the road she's talent and I don't use that word ignorantly or disrespect this talent and people don't know that we're if they don't know us well they don't even know we're a couple I will not come up and hug and kiss and blah 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 until after the show I'll walk up and I'll go nice job honey give her a kiss and people go, oh, that's your wife, yeah. And uh, it's just it's something that it's easier to do business with. You know, Donna would introduce me to someone. Oh, oh, this is Murray. My husband, he's our manager. Oh, your husband's the manager. <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately this time, or unfortunately, however wants to look at it, I, her husband, me, I, I do, I've got a lot of experience at this, and, and I... Um, but with me and her, it's, it's been because of going through the addiction problems that I had, the love and the trust has gotten stronger. And then the pandemic also, and I I think, you know, I might've mentioned this to you before, but to have a, a great partner as we both have, and to know that, you know, they got your back and, uh, Especially for what I'm going through right now. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's that's really cool. I know for us, like we're super professional on stage. We do the gig as bandmates, not as a couple. And then after the show, we still were working, talking to friends and fans and stuff. And then we go home and fall down together. And it's been 11 years that we've been doing it. I know you guys have been together a lot longer. So um, anyways, I just wanted to say kudos on you guys and on other couples that are showing that yes it can be done 
And I know that you are working with Sterling Talent and JFL Presents uh, in the States. How did you actually get connected with those guys? Well, eight years ago, I had uh, thought, okay, we started this. The, the the king of the tributes back then, as far as going into the U.S., was the really place of glory. So I watched what they did and in that band and, and Randy worked with me with uh, Bad Moon Riders I was a headliner and they, they sold SWAT for tickets <laughs> sorry but anyways that was just the whole thing anyways but yeah um, so I saw them and went no nah, you know I want to go down the, the west coast let's go down the west coast so um, we um, sent out I, I made a video I sent it up put it up on YouTube Jason from JFL, uh, he runs a, uh, a festival called Harifats, which I, I'm i a fairly large contributor to. We usually have about half the bands there. So, um, you know, and then uh, he, people were phoning in going, hey, you know, or, or asking him, say, there's no women in here with this classic rock, with this, you know, Harifats. We got. We need some women up there, and so he said, thought to himself, "Well, what's the classic rock and roll band that has women in the Pacific Northwest?" Heart. Well, he went on on YouTube, and as soon as he hit Heart or Barracuda, or no Heart, I mean, it's Barracuda. We came up with us doing Barracuda, and he saw it, and his exact words were, "Holy." Beep. Can this girl ever sing? Right. So he uh, he emailed me and said, "Do you would you would you like to uh, come and play Hairfest?" And I hear that a lot. Back then, even back then, a lot of U.S. buyers saying, "Do you want to come down and play?" I go, "Yeah." And then I tell them where we are, and then they go, "Oh, But he was no, he was cool. So he gave me a really good offer. I said, "Sure, I'll do it." When can I get a deposit? I had one the next day. And that's how it started eight years ago. So Barracuda was the first band down and for two or three years and then brought down Aerosmith Rocks with Danny Dean and The Voice, uh, amazing band. And then after that oh, was okay. uh, Eagle Eyes. Cool. Um, all the four boys from the island also with Ray Harvey from Kickaxe. Oh, band. okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, which is it's so funny to see him going from kickaxe to yeah, that. Yeah, no kidding, eh? But that, that's great. Yeah, I mean, eight years and, and you guys still are are working hard at trying to get some shows in the States happening, which is cool after this pandemic stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've got stuff booked now. Like I say, my, my first show for a Canadian band would be Barracuda August the 14th, which is a Saturday at the Northwest Washington Fair in Linden. Oh, cool. Uh, it's open uh we open up the show and then my partner band jason his and uh stone of love which is a journey tribute with amazing journey tribute they open up the band they, they go next bc tribute hell's bells from la they're on and then it's um the lead singer from asia whoever that was at the end but then blue ground foreigner Oh, cool. Oh, that so, sounds great, yeah. 
full of the if, it, it, well, of course, like with a P two visa, which is another thing which I'm getting into right now, is uh, literally it's the um, paperwork to go across the line. Like I have a P two now, and we could go across and play if there was a gig. But coming back, we got to cluster ourselves for two weeks or whatever, and all that. So yeah, that's the first show. But uh, from August on September. I mean, me and Jason have developed, and, and mostly him, he's, he's a marketing guru, uh, and just just a, a, a amazing person. Last year was my year to convert to year, you know. Mm-hmm. Put over 100 grand into Barracuda at the beginning, right? Just with everything, and paying for everything all the time. You know, uh, but it did help us sort of get ahead of the game a bit. And, and now... Getting back to Donna, with Donna, what I'm trying to do now is, depending on what happens with me, is, uh, you know, we're setting her with an interface up at home where she can do some studio vocals for people. But you should hear her do Aretha Franklin. She does a wicked Aretha Franklin. Uh, Independence Day by Martina McBride. Uh, a bunch of different stuff. So it's going to be pretty versatile, and there's no reason why she should be able to make her living uh, doing this through all your business dealings and and counseling that you've been involved in, you know, helping other people. You've been battling cancer, and I have to say, I've never met anyone before with such a positive attitude. You're fighting this, and it's not your first time down the road. I know people don't like to talk about their disease, and there's a lot of people that don't know how to deal with a friend or family member that is actually suffering from cancer or other diseases. And so I think it's important that we talk about this just a little bit to give people inspiration if they're going through the same fight. Definitely, definitely. I, I, you know, I, I've had health issues probably, I don't know, 10 years now, on and off, but it all sort of been, you know, dabbling cancers, but stage one here, there, hepatitis C, which I had, which is now in remission thanks to a benefit there gave me, donated the, 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 the serum for the hep C uh, treatment gave it to me. It was uh, called uh, a flexor. Or flexor. Uh, I can't remember. Sorry, my brain. But it was over 100,000 U.S. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. And uh, or, I, or I'd be dead. That was five years ago. Uh, uh, so, you know, that. And so this last, I'll just go with the last diagnosis just to know. Mm-hmm. So I've got what's Oh, now it's closer to fourth stage, but um, yeah, high-grade uh, salivatory duct carcinoma is the name. It's underneath, the, it's the, in the subventubular <laughs> the gland underneath the jaw. Uh, there's a, a three and a half inch there that was removed. Um, and I'm I'm waiting for to start radiation. Uh, I've been given a terminal doses, a terminal uh, prognosis of six to rather say three years. Uh, but once again, you know that's could be that could be longer, shorter, all depends. But uh, I'm waiting for radiation now, which unfortunately has all been delayed due to very high COVID counts because of staffing having to be redispersed and 
probably the machines having to be used. Um, so that's a little frightening because the cancer that I have, only 1% of people get this cancer. And it's very fast in, in, in the test. I can, I can feel it already in my brain. I, I know something's there. So, so my, my, my uh, memory sometimes go, this has actually been pretty good today. Um, I thought uh, it's been scaring her to, I'll just forget stuff like right away, like uh, long, long-term stuff, no problem. Uh, but just uh, recent, there's no way. Um, so um, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm struggling to, uh, with the government waiting for uh, a, a loan called the CBA loan for my business. There was an extension of $20,000 that I, I applied for in December or November. got a letter in December saying that they were going to uh, review it, and it's been nothing since. And I guess it's quite common. So that stress does not do any good for my cancer. I'm also bipolar, which is I, I've been medicated for years and years and years, and I got no issues with that. But um, so. I'm just sort of waiting. I, I'm losing weight. Um, I mean, I can afford to. I started at three, three ten, um, to probably seventy eight now. That's just over a month. So mm. it, I can't lose weight when I'm doing the radiation, just because it's yeah, it'll it'll be tough to do. I had to go get two teeth pulled also, where they pulled where they took out the tumor right beside it were some two teeth that were compromised so if they would have left them in there for radiation they could blow off <laughs> yeah so they pulled those out uh, I had to do a biopsy on my tongue because my tongue kept getting uh, infected it's just on and on and on and on so uh, I'm hanging in though but you know it's a beautiful day I'm talking to you I just uh so mm-hmm. sit down by the lake when we're finished and the uh, memories. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, with family, you know, how it's tough. Because uh, I've only got one brother. I lost both my parents, immediate parents, to, to cancer. And what's really, really frightening or eerie is my mom was 62. She went and got diagnosed in April uh, um, uh, of 2006. And they told her she had three months to live, brain cancer and bone cancer, and it was exactly three months to live. And I'm 62, <laughs> and uh, you know my dad was 68. Um, yeah. So I only have my brother. Darren's not much of anybody to share with or say anything. With Donna, it's just being totally upfront on how, what are we going to do. How are we going to deal with this? What, how are we, first of all, going to pay the bills? That's what I've been doing. And, and this is something I'll say to everybody, but mostly you guys, don't put anything off. Get your will mm-hmm. done. You know, make sure that everything's taken care of for your, your spouse. Yes. Or The problem now, with I've got six doctors that I'm dealing with right mm-hmm. now, right? Including dentists oncologist, uh, whatever, and uh, radiologist. <clears throat> it's the communication. It's communication with everything, and I think that's the whole ticket with my life. 
Sheryl, uh, is that I've learned to communicate with my mouth and not either my fists or uh, my, well, a good tongue instead of a bad tongue. Uh, you know, it's so easy just to lash out. I mean, I still got some, you know, there's not too, some few, too, not too favorite people in my life, but what I do for them every night is to pray for them. That releases it for me, and uh, that's all I can do. So, you know, the cancer uh, right now, it's not in a good situation. It's in a holding pattern. Uh, I don't even think I'll start radiation till May. Uh, by that time, who knows what's going to happen with the antivirus and all this stuff. So, trying to stay positive. Just had my, my virus shot the other day, and... Uh, that's the only other thing I've, you know, I've got some friends and family that are antiviral and antivirus and, and it just blew me away. It just, in this industry too, and it just blew me away because I just said, you're selfish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely selfish. And the person, I says, why don't you want to get a shot you know, of a vaccine? Well, I don't want to take, you know, when someone just developed over the last year by man. I go, they've been developing this for years. These vaccines have been in development for, you know, some of them often. So, you know, uh, it's it's frustrating because I told this person, well, then you're not welcome in my house. Right? You know, <laughs> I'm not going to take a chance. You know, it's it's the bottom line, really, like we're the same. Um, you know, I've got friends who are not friends anymore because basically they are anti-vaxxers, they're COVID deniers. I had a cousin pass away of COVID-19. I've got a second cousin who's now on a ventilator, you know, uh, probably going to die in the States. Um, I've had co-workers, you know, um, musician friends dying of COVID. So you you say to my face that you don't believe in COVID-19 and you say that you're not going to wear a mask, then you're not in my yeah. life. Well, not even wearing the mask, but the vaccine, because he goes, well, or vaccine, he wants the vaccine gets, that gets in there, you know, everybody, well, you know, don't have to wear, I said, they still want you to wear until everybody gets to the herd mentality. Mm-hmm. And everybody, I said, it's only a few more weeks, uh, you know, that this will happen, hopefully. And then, uh, you know, what's going to happen, and I also said, you know, once everybody, this this herd mentality is there and the virus is going to be there, you're going to have to have proof that you've had the, the, the vaccine to get on the, the plane. It's not going to be just the negative. Yeah. Probably won't talk to me and again, and mm-hmm. who knows, if, if my cancer gets worse, it might just be the last time that we spoke, but I, I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. happy with them at all. It's extremely selfish. selfish. Yeah, Very exactly. selfish. Well, I want to end by um, asking, because of all the experience you've had over the years in the music industry, is there any advice that you can offer to musicians, no matter if they're original, tribute, cover, whatever, you know, that are making a career in the industry? Is there any any advice that you could offer them? If you love doing something, you know, give it a hundred percent. You know, don't. Don't skimp, especially when it comes to putting the time in to rehearsal as a band. You know, it's just one thing that I'll say that, uh, you know, a lot of musicians that I work with, we rehearse on our own. You have to now. But, you know, I've had some, some guys just, or people just go, no, I don't want to rehearse. I know my parts. Well, that's not, that's not the thing. It's not, 
mowing your parts, dude. It's uh, it, it's the band coming together as a band, mm-hmm. right? And, and being able to, I mean, there's some things with certain bands that I work with that, you know, been talking about doing a segue from this song to this song. Well, how come this isn't done? Well, no one wants to rehearse. Yeah? Well, if you want more, you, you guys are wanting more money. Well, A, mm-hmm. give me a budget to do some promo, uh, to do another video. You guys go learn the songs the way it's supposed to be. You know, I, I've had some, some tributes that start off really good, and then they started to guitar solos, they turned it into their own personal solo into instead of the person that they were portraying. Solos that people aren't really familiar with, but I mean, really, really guilty solos, and I'm just like, no. Nah. <laughs> we're a tribute. That's the thing. We try, try to make it the best uh, as possible mm-hmm. and closest in all aspects. But overall, I think it would just be, you know, true to yourselves as far as, what you what you want to do if whether it's if it's a profession if it's going to be a profession then i would strongly strongly suggest going to school for business school in, in the music industry uh first up and get really educated on uh immigration law if you're planning to to do anything in the states immigration uh, a lot of stuff where unless you have someone taking care of this for you um, it's it's very time consuming and stressful, and but it's a big part of it. But I guess overall is to have a good foundation of everything that you put into, you know, the, even like the people that you're doing the shows, you're doing the the gig with, right? Like it's it's one thing being in town, doing some shows in town every other three months, four months, but to go on the road, to say even just two weeks with a band traveling you know schedule blah 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 this is something that a lot of people don't understand once they get into it where it's uh, you know Jim Murray why why did you tell us that we're on in in, uh, in five minutes when it's actually 15 so you'd be standing right here yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> you know, I, mean, I always do that with bands. Or you know, I'd have bands leave their guitars on stage and just go back to the hotel room. And I'd be like, "This is back in the day." And I went uh, in Edmonton. I put all the, uh, the guitars on and, and hid them in, in their cases and hid them away. And so the next day they came and where's the guitar? <laughs> on stage. Well, and then I go. That'd be a tough lesson to learn. But it's just doing everything that. You can on your own, especially with the original. You know, the, whoever's buying music nowadays, which is it's all over the map uh, as far as record companies and everything. You know, just make sure that when you go to them to present your package, you make sure that everything is in there. That they the least amount of money that they got to put into you, and the least amount of uh, babysitting and, and stuff to teach you that they have to do. You see someone walk up that's really, really on the ball and knows what they're doing. Um, you're you're going to, even though your talent, you know, talent level is there and it might take a while to develop songs, it's going to take a while, right? And, that, you know, there's lots of, uh, lots of opportunities out there, but what's going to happen is people that are buyers are only going to be working with top-notch musicians, professionals that are not going to be mm-hmm. 
causing issues, substance abuses, uh, whatever, uh, you know, just general, you know, band tardiness that used to happen years ago. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stickler for when I run a festival, you know, I've got a stopwatch and I, you know, I learned from Terry Grace and stuff about stage managing and, you know, very important to make sure that, you know, everybody is on time because it's, uh, for example, Merritt Music Festival, many years, many years in a row, three years in a row, the timing on the second stage was so bad, but by the time they got to the headliner, there was no time left. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, nice, and they're, they're getting paid $2 million, you know. <laughs> well, oh, well, man. Not I mean, like, the second stage at Merritt, like, with, it was a tribute stage pretty well, but Aerosmith oh, Rocks were the headliners, well... By the time it came down to it with the beer curfew and everything, you know, the first band went on. It was a local band, so the guys let them play 15 minutes longer. Well, then the next band, there was 10 minutes longer to do a, a line change. And on and mm-hmm. on. I think, you know, Aerosmith Rocks, you know, had four songs in their rock. You know, they still got paid, but still, it's just... Anyways. Uh, yeah, I guess I could just say, this out, make sure this is what you want and, and be true to yourself and uh, just do it. And... Uh, it's, everything's going to work out for the best. Marie, thank you so much for being on the show today. And you know that we love you. Love you too. Okay, sweetie, take care. Bye-bye. I want to thank Murray for being on the show today and for sharing his story. Please head over to Merman Productions. You can find it at mer-manproductions.com to find out about what his bands are up to. And if you're friends of Murray and Donna, please reach out and give them some love. We wish Murray good health and best wishes. Now, if you know this show about this time, I play a song. And today I like to spin Get the Vax by my band Stone Poets. We just released it last week. We felt compelled to write and record the song. In order to reach herd immunity, we need 70 to 80% of the population to get a COVID-19 vaccine so we can get back to some kind of normal. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to hang out with my friends and my family. And for all my musician friends, we need to gig and tour. So crank up the song and roll up your sleeve if you haven't already. Mixed and recorded by Sheldon Zaharko and produced by Mark Gladstone and Sheldon and Stone Poets. This is Get the Vax and you're listening to Make a Scene Canada on Pacific Northwest Radio.
I'm always so grateful to share our Canadian artists and their music with you, as well as our industry movers and shakers stories. Leave Pacific Northwest Radio on 24-7. It's music online all the time. You can find all my past shows on demand. Click the Make a Scene Canada icon on the homepage of Pacific Northwest Radio. As well, you can find Make a Scene Canada on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, plus a whole array of sites that you can subscribe to. It's all waiting for you to discover. Big shout out to my Make a Scene Canada sponsor, Sheldon Zaharko from Zed Productions. All you rock stars ready to record your new album or single, check out Zed Productions at SheldonZaharko.com. The music that you're listening to right now is from my band Stone Poets, recorded with Sheldon, and you can hear more at stonepoets.ca or listen to my rock side, Head, at headmusic.ca, and you can find me and all my projects at shereljardine.ca. And please get in touch because I love hearing from you. Now take a few minutes out of your day and share our Canadian artists, Make a Scene Canada and Pacific Northwest Radio on social media. Okay, signing off now. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, let's make a scene, Canada. My yesterdays are suffocating. Flying faster than the earth is turning. You feel the burning when you're too close to the sun. Feels better if you just start falling. Better if it just stopped falling The air is calling you to run